This is The Coolest Show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know. Keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect the expert level. Information, entertainment, education. Rev here, what got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. Everybody, this is Rev Yearwood, uh, one of your hosts, I gotta keep saying that now, of The Coolest Show. And last week, you should have heard one of our producers slash host, uh, Tamara Tozo Laughlin, and the other producers here, Destiny and Cross, have been working on uh, an arc for this season that has been dealing with the continuation of care and repair for just our mental health and Mental Health and Awareness Month this month here in May. And that's important because we know that post, quote-unquote, Earth Month, that a lot of folks stop working on this issue, but the anxiety, the stress, and all the things that go along with that for activists who are working on um, a better uh, environment and a better climate um, for um, our mother, our Mother Earth, they, we know that this continues on. And I want to make sure this issue, as I did last time, a little bit of a trigger warning um, for those who are listening. We know when we're dealing with this issue, as we mentioned before, that we our goal is to make sure that activists are loved on, are cared for, feel supported. So if you ever feel you need anything, we'll make sure, and along with some of the things as you listen to this podcast, you'll see the, the places where you can get help. And just know you're not alone. Just know that the reason for this conversation is for us to be as transparent as possible so you can know that you're not the only one who has gone through that and that you can listen to others. So with that, I have two of my favorite people, and I mean that, and in and, and this movement and in the world. Um, I have Kara Haska, who is the founder of the GNU Collective and also co-founder of Not Your Mascot. Um, many of you remember her from previous episodes here on The Coolest Show. And she has been, she's a pipeline fighter of pipeline fighters, y'all. I mean, if, if I, I actually wouldn't start a pipeline. I wouldn't go out and buy a pipeline because I knew that there'd be someone named uh, Tara Hoskins would be out there waiting for me to take my pipeline down. So We get to hang out so much. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we would get to, yeah, we would get to hang out. And so, Welcome, Tara. How are you doing? Off the bat, and also since last time we've had this show, um, you've had a little one um, as well. So I also um, thank you that I saw the blessing. I, I saw you. Uh, so, man, first tell us the name of your blessing, and how are you doing? Their name is uh, Josephine. She's after my great grandmother. Um, and it is just amazing. I mean, it's. I've wanted a child for a long time and it's just everything in the world. Uh, she is teething right now, so we didn't sleep very much last night, but I will do my best. No, <laughs> and I'm so glad to be on the show with you guys. Oh, man. And speaking of that, we're here with another one of our colleagues and comrades, none other than Anthony Rogers, right? Uh, he is director of environmental justice, uh, New York lawyers for public interest. Man, he's just all over the place. We just were talking earlier about how he's in 
I think he's still in Colombia, but he's just all over the world. I think all over. He, right now, he I think, I think right now he could be sitting in DC. I think he's in DC, but but I think that he's all over. But brother Anthony, how how are you? Um, I mean, better now that I'm you know with you and our my dear sister and comrade and ride or die Tara. It's always just good to see her face and need to do that more in person. Sick of this digital virtual thing. Um, I, I miss this woman so much, but. Doing well, brother. You know, so much happening, and, and we're going to get to it. But, um, yeah, it's good to be in D.C. It's a yucky, rainy day. So, like, I'm doing, like, a bunch of domestic stuff today, like laundry and cleaning up uh, because uh, we don't have to work today. We have a wellness day at my organization. <laughs> so that, oh, that, it's feeling nice. But um, um, And then getting ready to travel to your neck of the woods, uh, home for you, uh, to New Orleans tomorrow. So I'm, I'm... That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, that's good you can travel. That's 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 good. That's good. You traveling for folks who are listening, man. Last time, so me and me and Anthony are the, well are been on several boards together. And last time I was going to a meeting, I won't even say the board. I won't even say the organization. Y'all can just Google him. He wrote a whole letter about it. But man, man, he had packed his bags, put it by the door, <laughs> left me and other folks sitting there. All the other. All the other millionaire folks in the room were sitting there, but I gotta say that man, that was such a blessing. And I I start with that because that is actually one of the reasons that we need care yes, and repair. Because many people may not know that it isn't just the fossil fuel industry that gives us grief; it's also the movement itself. And sometimes when we're in these positions, um, like we're in, and they allow us to be sitting on these positions that we're doing it. And we're putting, we're putting in opportunities where, or situations where it feels uncomfortable and we had to make these really hard life decisions. And I know Andy, as I can tell this for those who are listening and you're here, uh, Tara as well, they have both made those decisions. They have both been confronted with both challenging both their outside and the inside. Um, so before we get to that, for folks to remember, uh, who is Tara Hauschka and who is your community? I'm uh, I'm talking to you guys from uh, Anishinaabe territory up on the border of uh, Minnesota and Ontario. Um, I'm home and I'm an Anishinaabe woman. I mean, I'm from a Kuching First Nation, born and raised outside of a little border town called International mm-hmm. Falls, Minnesota. And I and I can tell you that she's uh, I, I don't curse, but. Andy curse. So and this is the podcast where you can curse. So he may curse for my mother actually. Andy cursed me here and in, in, in put these words. But she is a bad, and Andy would put a word there, uh, a, a, a attorney. She's a bad, she's a, she's a bad, she's, she's, a, she's a bad person. Yo. Let me tell you all that. She she throws down. And so, but, it's, but on the other side, and I, I'm going to ask Terry to curse for you, Andy. You got to say that. <laughs> you are bad. You're bad as well. Who was Anthony Rogers, right? And who was your community? Thank you so much, Rev. Uh, always good to see you, uh, my my sister Tara. Um, Anthony Kariefer Rogers Wright, he and his. Um, I'm the son of Dr. Marianne Rogers Wright and um, Dr. Mohammed Samura. Uh, we are from Sierra Leone in West Africa. Uh, saying give props to and hello to my father, who is back home in Sierra Leone right now. We just celebrated our Independence Day yesterday from from England. Wow. So. They're, they're probably still partying in Freetown. Um, and, you know, um, part-time uh, activist, 
uh, I don't really call myself a writer. I call myself an S talker with a very good vocabulary, I guess. Right. Um, you know, um, freedom fighter, justice seeker. Um, my people, of course, are UREV. My people are Tara. My people are poor white folk in Appalachia um, who have helped, you know, those develop my empathy as a black man and, and their, their struggle is mine. Uh, terrorist people, you know, Tara and I have said for many, many, many years that we've known each other that uh, indigenous and black liberation are tied together. So indigenous people are my people, um, oppressed people and um, uh, fans of the New York Yankees and the New York Knicks who did win their first uh, playoff championship since 2013. Those are my people as well. New Yorkers, go New York. Boo! <laughs> 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 oh man, you got to see that, Andy. You were doing so good. You know what I mean? You were. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> it was so good. I just wish Shirley on. We were right there with you. We 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 could feel the party in the streets. Yeah, for real. And then so, and, and then you you came right to the. You know, uh, Tony K. Bombara said, "You know, sometimes uh, our imagination is colonized." <laughs> I, I'll leave that there. I'll just leave that there. <laughs> So you came back to the Yankees. Of all the Yankees, come on, man. Just the name. I, I wouldn't even go there. You know what I mean? Uh, like, Brooklyn and Harlem. You know, Brooklyn so, and Harlem. Uh, 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 you know, as we sit here with the co-founder, not your mascot, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> the, the the Yankees in New York. Well, wait, wait, wait. That's, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get have, there, bro. We'll, 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 we'll get there. I, I want to come here, though. Speaking of New York. And Ali would just do a story. I've said this story here on the show many times. And so I'll give the abbreviated version of one time I was speaking in New York at a climate conference. And after the climate conference, a young um, person came to me and they was like, yo, I really appreciate your speech. I wish more environmentalists looked like you. I got it clearly. I know they, what they were saying. A person of color, they usually see people of a lighter hue. Uh, in those in these spaces, so they were just like, man, so I would just see a person of color just doing their thing. But then they got me; they actually kind of set me up. Mm-hmm. And it was the, this was their area where Sean Bell had been assassinated um, by the New York Police Department. And in that part, they came back to me though. They said, you know, we're Rev. I have a question for you. They said, uh, you know, I hear about the earth and the climate. You know, why do you want to save hell so bad? Wow. And, and that and and that and that that really hit me and stuck with me and and I thought about that and 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 you know as we are we have recently have begun to turn our attention to the crisis of culture with the climate movement. Um, last week we focusing on the release of the Climate Criticals, which is Tomato's or Lawful One of our producers' organization she founded. There's just the idea of burnout. They did an, a, a powerful survey report. And so today we want to go deeper, look at how the toxic culture within this movement, what we're talking about is, in essence, wasting our talent and our time. Or in many cases, really just need to ask the question of that, of that young person. You know, why are we trying to save hell so bad? And, and why are we going through hell to do it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Tara, for the audience and the community, can you define lateral violence and tell us how it shows up in the movement. Yeah. What a question to be asked. I mean, it's like, there's so much to that, right? Of layers of hurt and sadness that have probably happened to reach that point. Um, And that question and that want to understand. Um, 
I mean, I think lateral violence is, you know, it's when we, uh, I think what I'm seeing now, at least, and this is actually, it's, it's wild that we're having this conversation because we're, I'm kind of going through some of this actually today as we speak. Mm. Um, there is, sometimes I see a tendency to confuse lateral violence with accountability, right? Like there is something called accountability and accountability in a framework of restorative justice that we all talk about these words that we use, these buzzwords and these phrases that we use and we strive to, we have to actually put them in practice, right? I mean, like that's a lot of the work um, that as a front lines person, I really try to do is like the practice of these things. So to me, when it comes to like something like lateral violence, lateral violence is just when we are attacking each other, you know, and those are often in personal attacks in attempting to undermine each other. It's something I was actually thinking about yesterday, those, those kids throwing the soup, right? Like, I feel like there's like this immediate, no, that's not the right thing. You cannot engage in that tactic. You are just, you are, you are just like dismantling and undermining the rest of us rather than this kind of like moment of, okay, well, let's think about the St. Paul principles which are about diversity of tactics and how do we engage in a space and respect each other. We might not all agree, but how we respect each other. And that can turn into lateral violence of, no, these people are doing the wrong thing. You know, this is, this is what I believe to be the right way. This is mm. peaceful protest, right? And these people over here in Atlanta that are burning down machines, well, that's not peaceful. That's, that's violent and we can't support that. Right. Like those are, I think, where you start to see like a lot of the fractionations and movement is when we start disparaging each other, undermining each other's work and not um, at a minimum, just showing respect for each other. Right. Which is not the same as accountability. Following up, you and I have been around, you know, I remember from Keystone and from in that fight. And I look back now, you know, it's kind of funny to tell it. I look back at that fight and I realized that there was a lot of times when that lateral violence and some of those things were happening. Uh, I was maybe I was just too young in the movement to really understand it. But particularly now, as mm-hmm. I have, you know, I guess grown and there's probably more gray hair, my red hair, you know. Because <laughs> in my red hair, like for those who have black hair, you don't know, red hair, red hair hides the gray hair better. So I just want y'all to, if you just want to know. <laughs> but I do have some gray hair in the red hair. But in that process, I think about now about fighting for indigenous sovereignty, and I think about the work that was done and leading. How how does it still show up? And in, in in that aspect mm. now, as you now reflect on line three and line six and and Mountain Valley Pipeline, and then obviously with this quickly throwing under the bus, and even with having indigenous people in positions of power, we've seen that before. When we would say having a having a black or brown or indigenous face in a high place doesn't mean that you get what needs to be done. And so how does this show particularly around that work, around the around the indigenous uh aspect of of this of this and those nations as well? Yeah, I mean I think, you know, I was in the same boat as you. I was a little baby organizer then. I didn't really know anything, you know, that's I was still doing and I'm not to say that position deliveries are wrong, but I was doing petition deliveries with uh, the other esteemed guest on this show, actually, as a matter of fact. Um, But I think about like, you know, I think what I observed a lot in that movement in particular was um, some really 
overt tokenization that was happening of indigenous peoples, um, mm. of, you know, NGOs that were learning how to like really engage in a respectful relationship with native people and really not doing that so great, at least at that time. Like there was a lot of, we're going to fly you over here and you can stand here and you can do this and look really great. But then like, you know, we've got the solutions, we've got the, and that's not necessarily, we're not to a place where that's even close to being fixed. Right. But I think that was definitely some of what I saw that was happening. And I really see that as, you know, as I've gotten more experienced in this, in this fight that we're in. Um, but I would also say like among indigenous folks, like I experienced it in the, in the line three fight and in every fight I've been part of, which is, I think what ends up happening because there is such a lack of resources in the community. And when I say resources, I specifically am talking about like monetary resources, capacity resources, staffing, you know, access to directing the energy that people bring to movement space, which is, I want to do something. How do I help? Um, what can I do? How do I, how can I be useful? And what I see is still this pattern of behavior where you see like, a particular subset of really um, powerful quote unquote NGOs and specific folks who will look for the answer that they actually want. And they will intentionally insert themselves into a community and look for that voice and then uplift that perspective because it's actually their own, right? Like where there's not really a, it's, it's not really working with community. It's like, no, instead we're actually going to, you gave us the answer we didn't want and you gave us the answer we didn't want. So we're going to look for someone that's going to say what we want, you know, because that's what our theory of change is. And I still see that to this day. And that happened in line three and it was really, really fractionating. And it, and it, um, I think undermined a lot of, a lot of the, the grassroots and frontlines work that was happening. Um, yeah. And you see, of course, there's NGOs, indigenous led NGOs that, mm. you know, I mean, I think there's a, a variety of, are you, uh, is it extractive or is it uplifting, you know? And maybe it's some both. Well, I'm coming to you, Anthony, but Chad, I got I to ask you this question then. Because you are right. We all, all three of us here kind of got into this around the same time in some aspect. And we, we're like brothers and sisters and non-binary cousins as we are on this, on this, on this, on this thing together, right? And I got to ask you then, as we sit kind of in our room together, reflecting over a beer or a cocktail, we look back, um, were we gullible or were we used? I mean, I, I don't know how you feel, Anthony. I feel like with a lot of it, I actually feel quite used. Mm. Um, like I, I think that at this point in my, um, trajectory and path that I am at a place where I'm trying to engage leaders and develop leaders. Um, building a land back project. And a big part of that for me is trans like giving that wisdom, like, Hey, I ended up feeling really used and discarded because like I was a, you know, bright and shiny penny, you know, and this, you know, so-called intelligent voice or whatever, you know what I mean? Or eloquent voice. And at the end of it, you know, they really were just getting what they wanted and not, it really wasn't so much about what I wanted and what my community wanted and like what, what the, what we were trying to bring, you know, and how do we trans transmit that information? How do we, you know, make sure that we try to empower folks to not have to go through that process or to at least be fully aware of what's happening. I mean, cause these are like people that are, 
they've been doing this for like 20, 30, 40 years, right? And like, they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly what shield they were getting and what cover they were getting. And like, that's, it hurts to think about that. It does. And again, we know as you're listening to this conversation, we know that we may be uh, opening some wounds here. And again, we, 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 we're doing this because we, we, uh, we have to have this care repair. We, have, we can't repeat this cycle. And so I just want to know if you're listening to this, you know, this is why, um, you know, why we're, why we're doing this now. You know, Anthony, can you talk about just about the toxicity and harm experience being just a black man, um, in this work? And, and, and also the same kind of question, you know, you know, we're all in this together. We're kind of like, like I said, we're now in the room together here and sit looking back at it and realize that what was done to us kind of as kids in the movement. Man, that wasn't what, what kind of happened to us. wasn't wasn't right, and it's been as, as Terry said, it's been done for a lot of years, and it feels kind of funny now because now we own it and we know it ain't right. So, what's your thoughts on that? Wow, I mean, hard to follow uh, my sister Tara, who I call TT. It's my nickname for her. Um, you know, uh, a rabbit. Um, y'all, y'all brought this up earlier, and it's really um, has to do with power, right? I mean. Um, uh, it was gullibility that led to us being used, I think, you know, and, and for watching both you and Tara and your amazing trajectory and starting to get that power, right? And, and I guess to some extent the same occurred for me. That's when things started to get dangerous, right? Like mm. that, that's when like people started like coming for us um, in, in just tragic ways that Tara and I have like been through um, um, together. And, and I think that, you know, bringing it back to the Black perspective, um, I mean, you, you know this, Rev. You, you you come from um, the part of of, of the so called United States where the whole concept of Black Power was really born. You know, with with, with uh, uh, Kwame Torre and and, and Ella, Ella Baker down in the Gulf South and and Bama or the Deep South as they call it. But it was just it was never power over, right? We we were saying Black Power with indigenous power, Black Power with poor folk power, Black Power with you know a, a people who are oppressed power. But it's never seen that way. Um, with two unapologetic uh, black men like your, your, you, you and myself, with no filter, you know, um, because I have the full backing of a sister like Tara or our, our dear sister Katie Thomas, who, who's a dear friend of all of us, you know, of like, nah, we we we're, we we got you. But um, for folk who are not ready for that, they they will come for you, and 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 it it really really does hurt, you know, because uh, you're dehumanized. And and you almost sort of start to manifest exactly what you were afraid of in the first place. You know, um, my sister Yane um, in Philly, we we uh, Tara knows her as well. We we call it the Matrix effect, where like anybody can turn into Mr. Smith, the agent from from the movie The Matrix. It goes for anti-blackness. It goes for patriarchy, and usually triggered by power, <laughs> because like uh, there are like a lot of white liberals who are great people. But as soon as you put like someone like Tara, yourself or me in a position of power and maybe even having more power than them, even if for a moment, that matrix effect can happen and they don't even know why, you know, they, they, they turn into uh, maybe an acute uh, white supremacist, you know, not chronic, but like just at that moment. And, 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 and dealing with that, of course, uh, takes a toll. Reb, you and I um, are derived from people where we know high blood pressure is an issue. It's, you know, we know um, my, my own mother died of a stroke at 57. 
you know, in this country. And and she was she was a PhD, you know, had incredible healthcare, but it was still that everyday stress of of navigating this world as a, as a black woman who had a position of power. It can get very very toxic very very quickly. And and I think that what I've learned, in, you know, over the years is like like no not going to work myself to death, you know, not, not for this, <laughs> you know, um, not, not, not for this, for you, Reb, yes, I'll work myself to death for Tara. I will work myself, but not for the nonprofit industrial complex. Like what? You know what I mean? That is, that is absolutely not worth dying for, for anybody that is not worth dying for. So, um, I, I hope that I've gained some wisdom because, you know, I have a seven year old, as you know, uh, Zaire, um, turning eight soon. My goodness, Tara, get ready. Um, you know, and 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 we're we're gonna have more discussion about it. But like, but I think what I've learned really is that like you gotta have your base. So I can call Tara whenever, whenever, and vice versa. And I think you feel that for you, Rev, as well. Like I, I, I you know, when I'm around you, I just feel more healed. Even even when we don't necessarily agree, it's still healing because you're always like, brother, like you gotta do your thing, and I love you, and I'm gonna do my thing, and I hope you love me, and um. That's that's how we navigate this. But I would say what hurts the most is that like every time we feel like we're excelling. I was with Tara in the streets of Minneapolis in the in the summer of 2020, right? Like you know, just like I was with her during Standing Rock, just like I was with her during um, Line Line Three, and you know, summer of 2020, Rev, you must have felt it too. There's this moment where like, yo, I think we might actually get there, and then. Uh, uh, support for Black Lives Matter plummeted like to l- levels that were lower before George Floyd's assassination, right? And and I think that's what hurts the most is I am seeing a regression. There there still seems to be this fear of people who look like the three of us having power, financial, you know, um, wisdom, you know, or otherwise, and and not having to be dependent on that nonprofit industrial complex anymore. It's scary, you know, because they can't go after Tara's funding because Tara did it herself. They can't do it for you, you, you either, Rev, and to some extent myself. And that that's just weird. When we become more successful, we become more scary. We become more dangerous. We become more of a threat to the people, again, who are like saying, no, not power over, power with, because we are fighting one of the most impo- like, powerful systems of global capitalism in the world and the fossil fuel industry. And the three of us can't do it by, by ourselves. So power with. And if that's going to make you uh, afraid because I'm Black, because Tara's Indigenous, because you're a beautiful Black man, Rev, then it, it shows me that um, we have a lot more to do before we can even think about chaining ourselves up to a piece of fossil fuel infrastructure or, or going to the White House and, and, and demanding you know, what we really want. Because if we can't get over that fear, we will never get over the idea that indigenous sovereignty and environmental justice are not aspirational, but they are requisite. Right? Mm. And, 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 and navigating mm. that toxicity is going to be a big part of that. I had a person who married their partner and and he, he 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 told me the statement about his partner. They uh, uh, got married, and then they were getting divorced. And and he says, "Man, you know, love is blind, but marriage will open up both your eyes." And and so I say that kind of like as we <laughs> kind of got we kind of however we uh, got. Married to the movement, however we came into this process, did that actually open our eyes? And to you, Anthony, this is really my question because 
I mean, you know, I think what we're trying to do here is that we, our goal, if you're listening, please know. If you want to ask Anthony, my goodness, or or Tara or myself, any questions about science, about how the climate crisis operates, we will talk to you forever about where we are on that process. We will give you every detail of what it means and how it works. And so please have no idea. What we're saying here, the reason why we're at our wisdom at this point, and we're doing, and we're not, please, no, the three of us are not old. We're, 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 we're not, this, we're not, we're not, I mean, I, I would say we're probably more, we're not, we're probably more like elders than elders. You know what I mean? So, seasoned, pro- seasoned veterans. Yes, seasoned, <laughs> you know, seasoned, seasoned veterans. Newly gray. Newly, newly gray. That's, that's who we are. So please understand, what we're saying here is this, is that we're saying that at this point, there's something that is happening that is actually going to stop us from getting through and defeating the climate crisis. The thing is this, is that we are actually harming people who should be soldiers, who should be, who should be warriors, who should be powerful advocates in this process, but instead they're leaving cynical and bitter and jaded and broken. And if that cycle continues, then this climate crisis will continue. And for those, since all three of us have children on the, on this, in this conversation, we are not allowing it to happen. So Anthony, I'm asking you this question. Now that you know that the system is racist, it is built upon white supremacy. The system on the outside and on the inside. How do we how do we operate? Because you're talking about the nonprofit industrial complex, the resources. How do we how do we shift that? And more importantly, how do we how do we save others from repeating the same process so that they're not all happy. We see them in, in, in going. And I really do feel, and this is, I know we have, I, I've seen so many now, so quick, a generation. And let me say this to y'all. Read what we have in this conversation, keeping it a buck. And I said this last time, is that for me, I do a racial justice and climate justice. We've had activists on both the climate side, indigenous, with activists who are part of the, part of black, move for, move for black lives, who have been committing suicide. So the reason why we have this conversation, y'all, is because we actually lose an activist who check it out. Like this is not a game. This is we have activists who are we 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 gotta have this conversation to be real transparent and open because we lose we got thinking young activists who check it out and we can't have this. And again, if you are in that position, we there are resources that we have for you. But Anthony, how do we deal with this racist system that we find ourselves in when we're trying to fix what we, we want to fix? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, you know, I, I I find myself plagiarizing Tara like almost every time she goes like on one of these things and waxes poetic. And uh, recently, Tara was like, you know, this isn't climate change. This is life. You know, <laughs> you know, like like what 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 you mean by, by this is this is climate change. So I mean, uh, I'm first and foremost in solidarity. You know, and 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 that understanding that we we thank God do have um, some real white accomplices who who also understand how white supremacy is I, I need you to explain that though yes sir yeah i mean it, it, what, what i mean is, by what that, is 
what because you you gave something you gave something you gave it you gave something that was important to really explain white and accomplish and then mm-hmm. and you did, and you also you got to explain because you said that what that would mean in relation to white ally if that exists yeah. and yes. and so please explain that. Okay, so I mean, we we were talking, you know, just a moment ago about like the difference between sympathy and empathy, where sympathy is kind of short lived, and empathy is like I feel you, so like like that's the accomplice part. The ally part is like it, it, it's 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 uh, um, ephemeral, right? Like it's like oh, this is terrible, but like I'm not necessarily going to throw down. And when I say throw down, I mean every day the quotidian work of that. That's I think that's the difference. Uh, Haj Malik El Shabazz, Malcolm X, had this saying that um, um, my standard for white activism is John Brown. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm certainly not like suggesting that that people hold up um, um, a military um, installments or anything like that. But well, what I, I mean, well, he's not. But let me say, y'all. Let me say, I'm a John Brown fan, y'all. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I, I make the triggers of Harper's Ferry once it once You know what I mean? Hey. real. I mean, we, we're, we're talking about things that we do to, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm here in Occupy Piscataway Territory, a, a.k.a. D.C. I go to Harper's Ferry almost, like, every other month, and I'll just go there to talk to John Brown. And people will look at me like, what's wrong with that, brother? And I'm like, I'm talking to John Brown. I'm like, he needs to come back to talk to y'all. But in all seriousness, you know, what that looks like in, in process is, you know, uh, Rev, one of the first times that we did a... Um, uh, a kind of panel together. We spoke uh, was was at uh, Dillard University down in down in New Orleans yeah. at the uh, HBCU Climate Change Initiative, their uh, their annual um, uh, climate conference. And my panel was all white people, right? And and it included um, our, our, one of our dear sisters, Marla Markham, with Climate Disobedience Center, and Drew Hudson, um, um, you know, and uh, who, who also just an amazing comrade, one of my teachers, Drew Hudson. And you know, I asked all five of these white people one question. The first question you know, based on this definition of racism, which we got from um, the, the landmark report, Toxic Waste and Race of 1987, is the climate community racist? And like, <laughs> Marla takes the mic and is like, yeah, you know, ab- absolutely, yes. You know what I mean? And, and, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to make anybody, like, you, know, you know, promote martyrdom because that's, that's not what I'm about, you know, no, and I don't no. my choice, right? At the same time, you know, Marla's the type of sister who, and this is what I, mean, what I mean by accomplice, is like, and the same thing with Tara, like, heavens forbid, we're like in formation. And I might snap, right? That can happen. Rev, you've seen it. You, 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 your leg got broken, brother. You've seen it, right? This isn't hyperbolic. You know, sometimes something happens and, and Marla or Tara, you know, who aren't black are about to see me maybe go do something stupid to a cop. You know what Marla always says, like, if I see you in that, I will tackle you. I will tackle you. That's mm. the accomplice. Whereas the white ally would be like, well, I don't want to say anything because then I'm going to be called a racist. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm just going to let Anthony act a fool because like, you know, I, I'm too afraid of being called a racist. And then something, you know, heavens forbid happens in, in that interaction. So I think that's that's one way we do it. Yeah, I'd probably like help you tackle. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, you know, like, so I think that's I think that's definitely like one example. And, um, you know, and, and and it's really just building that that base of solidarity, that real, you know, base of solidarity. 
and, and also people who we aren't, aren't afraid to have hard conversations with. We have hard conversations. TT and I have hard conversations, real conversations and not being afraid of conflict to the point where we don't like, you know, grow together. So that's what I've learned. You yeah, know, that's, uh, that's it. Terrence, I want to come to you with that. Actually, I want you to, I'm, I'm going to try to merge these questions together because I think what Anthony said is very important because I think that when you find out that somebody is not who they are, how do you escape from that in a, in a, in a healthy way? That doesn't, when, you're, when your organization or your career or you whatever, but when you realize this person really is, man, they really are harmful. How do you, and they're not an ally, or they're definitely not, they're definitely not an accomplice. They're definitely not John Brown in, in that aspect. How, how do you get away? And then also, just want to tell you, before you answer that question, think about that. Just want to tell you congratulations. Because I know that recently you had one of your, one of your many awards, but one of your recent awards was the Rose Walters Prize for Global uh, Environmental Activism. So big up to you on that. Um, and, uh, what are the pros and cons, though, of being seen for your work, and how does this contribute to lateral violence? Uh, that's kind of a heavy one there, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, that's like, it's so hard, too, because like, I mean, one, I didn't even apply for that, right? Like, these are not awards that are being applied for. Like, I just like, got, I was like, wow, like, I cannot believe that this is happening, you know, and like what that's going to mean for my daughter and like, you know, just, I don't know. And also like, I mean, I of course immediately think of like the implications too, like more broadly, like, does that mean that there is maybe a, you know, attempt to make a, a, a more space for a theory of change that is mm. not electoral politics? You know what I mean? Does that mean there's maybe some space for a theory of change that is directly wow. about protecting the earth mm. and not like, hypothetically, but like that I'm out here telling you that our relative is being destroyed before our eyes and we need to stop that from happening. You know what I mean? And like that reshapes your way of thinking that reshapes your relationship and maybe like creates this like brief connection where you think about the earth, not as something to, that we live on, that we extract from, but as a real living being, you know, like not romantically but really you know like that's that's kind of like where my head went when I when I got that award I was just so surprised because it usually goes to like you know the the usual cast of characters which is not a person like me right and not certainly not somebody that does this kind of work um yeah I mean it it also means that there'll be all kinds of folks that come out and have all kinds of opinions about my life and you know what they think I do and do not do most of the time is from people that I've never met or encountered or worked with in any capacity. And that's where I think it's like really important as a uh, person who decides to be forward facing that you also have a crew of ride or dies around you, you know, that like can keep you in check and help you through things, but also like, you know, remind you like, Hey, you're not that person. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, yes, do the internal, you know, reflections and all that stuff. Like we are about growth and we are about learning, but you know, you know, that's not, that's not really who you are, right? Like that's just not true. Um, and yeah, so the, the, the second piece about 
I think when you like, when you find out that someone is not who you thought they were, I mean, that's, I've personally experienced that a number of times. Mm. Um, it can be so mm-hmm. heart-wrenching, you know, and like it's, it can be shattering in some ways, you know, especially like if you really felt so compelled by their vision or their voice or like their outward facing, you know, um, persona. But at the same time, I think that's like, you know, for me, I've tried really hard to, because I, I think it also like, it's been to my benefit that I'm from like a little tiny town, like the woods, you know, like I actually didn't know a lot of the people that are like big people, you know, and like a, a, a perk of growing up in a place like this is like, no matter who you become, you are still that person. And so it's like, dude, come on. Like I've known you since you were like two years old. I remember when you ate worms <laughs> in like fourth grade. Like, you're never not going to be that person. You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of place I grew up in. So, like, it doesn't really matter. Like, no one's ever better than anybody else. And so I've never really had, like, a pedestal culture imprinted in myself. But that said, I mean, people have really, you know, been able to pull. I think um, when they, they when they walk a different way, it can be hard to, like, discern. And then all of a sudden you really are seeing all the all the flags and the signs. And, like, then all of a sudden you're, is this person really that and they're not who I thought they were. I mean, my way of dealing with it has been to attempt to, um, not attempt. I'm a, I'm a very direct kind of person. As you said, I would show up at your house if you decided to build a pipeline, (laughs) um, that is full of oil and gas and things that are killing the planet and our, our, each other, um, and our chance at survival. I actually think the planet will be fine. We are the ones that are not going to be fine. Um, But, you know, I think um, I've attempted to, like, or not attempted, I have directly confronted and, you know, heard pushback and I've heard, like, you know, more, more dancing around issues. And then ultimately what I've done is, like, been really thoughtful about removing myself from those situations and, like, being really careful with um, my spirit. And you were talking about, like, this grief that we're feeling and i think that that is so real you know it is it it, the science is tough you know i mean i'm just glad i'm not like a glacial scientist because i know those guys are like it's yeah it's right there you know what i mean and we do have young children and we do operate from a place of like really trying to save what's left and save ourselves and save each other and i think that that's like what to me is like been so I've been able to fill my spirit with that, that we operate out of love and care. I operate because I love Anthony and I love his family and I love, you know, his, his ability to move in the world. I, you know, I love you. I love every person so deeply, you know, it's, these aren't acts of anger. You know, if you operate on anger, you're going to burn out so quickly. And when you operate instead from a place of love, I think that means that you also learn about Mm. how to protect yourself. You know, and you learn about, I only have this much energy and this much in this time on this earth before I move on, you know, and my energy is transformed into something else. So, yeah, protect your spirit. You know, Tara, as you're talking, you know, one of the hardest things for me were being transparent so people can 
identify and they can learn and they can know that they're, they're not alone. And, you know, when the hard thing for me actually was, it's funny, when I was, uh, you know, beaten by the police, and obviously this is, was recorded and put all on YouTube, and it came one of the first, actually, videos of physicality on YouTube to that, and that level that went viral, so to speak, when viral wasn't even a word like that. Um, in a weird way, one that I was okay with it, but I was like part of doing the job. Like, okay, I'm, I'm an activist. Police got me. They got me good. They beat me. They broke my leg. The whole nine years, pumping me down. It's going to seem weird. Folks, listen, I actually don't think it's going to seem weird to Anthony or during this process. But what really got me was that one day I found out from someone that my youngest had finally saw the video. And he, mm-hmm. and he left a note there that says, I always knew those crutches were for something. And that was his comment. And that actually broke me. I'm a, y'all, both y'all know me. Red was pretty tough, y'all. I ain't, I ain't, but that one, that one, that one got me. That one got me because I realized that my little one had seen his dad get beaten up. And that, and that was like, damn. And I'm doing this for this movement. And then the same folks I'm supposed to be in movement with ain't, ain't taking that risk. So as you're talking, it's really for both of y'all in that aspect. You know, I just want to just say, and this is also, Trigger one again, folks. I know we we going deep. We, we going deep right now. So, and I'm really going to really about state and patriarchal violence. So I'm just going to make sure that this is people understand that we understand. Just just be mindful of what we really talk about here. But as we know, several environmental activists who have won, for instance, the Goldman Prize, have been murdered. Um, Bertha Caceres, there's a whole list, and had their lives taken. So can either one of you, really both of you, talk about the job that you think this movement is doing at protecting and keeping people safe. Oof. I don't know. I can give some initial thoughts at least on yeah. uh, what I see as someone who's supporting incarcerated comrades from afar, um, incarcerated in Atlanta. Um, the folks who felt their hearts moved by the assassination of Tortuguita. Um, and now the, the environmental activist who is the first in modern history to be killed at the hands of police. Um, I do not think that the movement is anywhere close to adequately protecting human rights defenders. I do not think that the movement is even attempting to, I, I think, like, okay, so earlier when I was talking about how, like, this, like, the diversity of tactics, right? There's actually also a real element of harm, danger, and risk in that, which is that if the rest of the climate movement that is so widely accepted that you have Jeff Bezos giving money to, like, you know, Earth initiatives or whatever, if it's that accepted, how are those people not using their platforms and their access to those people? to create space for human rights defenders to say that there are people who are actively facing police brutality that are getting their legs broken, that are getting killed at the hands of police who are protecting fossil fuel interests, who are protecting industries that are killing us, that are killing the planet, you know, and instead what's happening is that's a violent form of advocacy. That's, you know, y'all are violent, or maybe that was just a one-off. That was just a set of bad, apples right in the bunch bad eggs right it's not 
we we can't we can't actually say that that's like you know systemic right like there's not that's that's too radical to say that but it but it's is it really radical when it's the truth i mean i get asked that all the time are you a radical person i'm like no, i i feel like i'm a person from a tiny ass little town that's telling the truth that's all i've been trying to do is tell the truth because i saw what was happening out here you know in the rest of the world and i couldn't believe some of the atrocities and I don't think that there's nearly enough space given to human rights defenders. I don't think there's nearly enough space to care given in the movement. I see people who are so compelled to do something and sometimes they are putting themselves into situations or being led by folks who are not adequately preparing them for that care and that, that consciousness of here are the risks that you're going to take. Here's the risk that I don't, I don't know exactly what's going to happen to you, but this is what could happen to you. This is what you need to know if you're arrested. Those are basic, basic principles of how we engage. Um, you know, like I, during the line three fight, there was a moment where I jumped into an entire crowd of like 50 police officers off of a fence, you know? And like the people I was with like grabbed my face and did the thing like, hey, you're going to get really hurt. And I was like, I know what I'm doing and I'm aware of the risks that I'm taking, you know, and I respect the fact that those folks gave me my agency and that they allowed me that space. Mm. But I think that there is not nearly enough um, talk or space to even have those talks around like, how do we protect each other? How do we, how are we fully informed? How are we given our full agency? Like those are real things that I think are maybe happening more globally I've seen with human rights defenders, but are not so much happening here. And it needs to, because we hold so much space and so much weight. Mm. Oh, wow. I mean, only thing I'd add is, you know, as you know, and, and Tara uh, knows Reb, I mean, I've been blessed enough to be working with, um, you know, staff in the uh, movement of uh, Francia Marquez, uh, the vice president of Colombia, first uh, Afro-Colombian woman to hold that post. Also a Goldman winner, nine attempts on her life and, 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 and now vice president. Yo, you're down there and you see what, what Tara's talking about. Um, just the solidarity they've got each other. You know what I mean? That it's, it's not, that's what, that's what they say to me all the time. Like we have movements down here up there. Y'all have nonprofits. And I mean, mm. here's the, here's the deal. Like Tara, you, myself, Rev, I, I would, I, you know, seriously, objectively three of the best policy minds in, in this country, right? You got a tribal attorney here. We have both Tara and I work for presidential candidates. We advise lawmakers and, you asked earlier about like the wisdom we've gotten. Here's the deal. Policy is not going to save us. <laughs> Policy will not save us. And for all this talk of infrastructure because of this bill or that bill, to Tara's point, like we, we, we're not talking about the infrastructure for humanity, right? Because mm. these, this climate crisis is, is, you can't stop it, right? You know what I'm saying? Things, things there are things that are irreparable. Um, and uh, we're, we're, we're fighting each other over money. Right. What's going to happen when we have to fight each other for water? Where's will be what? what, How do we maintain humanity through all of this? And and you know if we're if we're like like fifty seven times for being in a forest 
that 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 primarily uh, uh, is beneficial to Black folks. So not even Black uh, people that look like them, you know, but they're standing in solidarity 57 times, and there there's no uproar about that, right? I mean, that's that's just the thing. If Francia was ever to be harmed, Rev and Terra, Colombia shuts down, right? There's that there's that idea behind that movement of PCN. Colombia shuts down if anything happens. And um, I don't think that our spaces, like, you know, sometimes we're called like professional activists and things like that. Yeah, to Tara's point, how is it not healthcare for someone who's willing to, to give their, or put their lives on the line, you know, um, um, to, to stop um, agents of destruction um, and agents of dehumanization, you know? Or, or why is it that like we do seem to work in systems where you would be penalized if you did anything like that. Maybe your fiscal sponsors, like, you know, you can do the comfortable amount of, of, of nonviolent, you know, uh, direct action. So I think like the other thing that's really important in, in all of this is removing Anglocentrism from our, our spaces and Anglo conformity from our spaces because we, me, you, Tara Rev, come from different traditions of, of liberation, different traditions of like what we are going to do to free ourselves you know, and what is necessary for that. Yes, Dr. King was, was necessary. Um, and so were the deacons for defense, right? And, 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 and so was Ella Baker and, and, and so was Fannie Lou Hamer, you know, and, and so was Dolores Huerta, et cetera, et cetera, you know, everyone at Wounded Knee, you know, and, and so if, they weren't thinking in terms of nonprofit. <laughs> they were just thinking in terms of liberation and freedom. So I like to call it paradoxical osmosis where it's, the, it's, it's paradoxical in that we, we start to sort of embrace the tactics of the oppressor that we swore that we were going to usurp together. <laughs> we start mm-hmm. acting like it. it's mm-hmm. paradoxical osmosis. Um, and, and yes, um, if, if we, you said it, Rev, if we don't change that and start developing that infrastructure for humanity, yeah, I mean, like you said, we're seasoned veterans. I don't, I don't want to do this when I'm 50, until I'm 55 or 65. When people like ask me, like, where do you see yourself in this work in 10 years? I'm like, yo, if I'm still doing this in 10 years, that's, that's a big problem. No, I'm, I'm, you know, hanging out with, with Josie and Tara and, and, you know, bartering with my son on how much. I need to give him the babysit baby Josie so Tara and I can go off and do adult things. You know what I mean? Like, like that's, that's what I want to be doing in 10 years. Um, and, and no, yeah, infrastructure for humanity and making sure that these, whatever you want to call them, water protectors, justice seekers, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, um, I, the family of that sibling who gave their life in, in Cop City should be all set. Berta Caceres' family should be all set. T- Tara has to know Josie is all set and, 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 and just like she knows I need to know that Zaz is all set. And if we can't um, um, develop that, that, that framework, then what are we doing? That's, 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 that becomes a point. Like it's, it's what we're doing prefigurative and performative um, at, at the end of the day, because like if, if we're not providing that kind of support for those kinds of folk, whew, yeah, what are we doing? What is, I just have two more questions, one for each one of you. And I thank you for your time, but I actually want to bring in my non-binary relative into the conversation. Um, as you, you, if you're listening, you can't, you can't see this. You can only just feel the emotion, but just know that I'm doing it. As you all, as you all, you know, I wear many hats. So I think currently I'm wearing right now, just for this interview, I have on my people versus fossil fuel hat. I think that's what I'm, I think it's, yeah, I think it's what I'm wearing, but I'm actually taking that one off and I'm bringing in my non-binary relative spirit into the conversation. Um, so I want to, I want to bring that in 
into this into this conversation now so that that spirit can be here. Uh, uh, Anthony, this is your last question. Really, it is around, you know, Climate Critical recently released a climate burnout report for those listening. You can find the report at climatecritical.earth uh, slash report. That's climatecritical.earth slash report. You know, Anthony, you have written, you wrote a future essay titled, quote, Stop Burning Candles at Both Ends, end quote. I just need you to kind of give your thing. Can you speak to us about burnout as both a cultural and addiction in the climate movement and the nonprofit industrial complex at large? Yeah, no, thank you so much for that. And, and you know, we want to lift up um, our dear sister, uh, Tamara Tolles, who led this process. And uh, the, the survey results are, are, are striking, y'all. Like, I mean, so, you know, to your question, just to get right to your question, I mean, we do know that burnout is real. Um, we know that it's impacting um, people of color, uh, Black, Brown, Indigenous, specifically women uh, uh, of who are Black, Brown, Indigenous even more so. And then what was like really shocking was that 63% of the people who are doing this work have said that like they would still not leave it for a better paying job with better benefits. Okay. So that's the idea of addiction, you know, right, right there of just like um, that, that's what happens. Um, and, and, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of that addiction is, is sometimes um, engendered by seduction, you know, like um, this idea that like, no, no, you, you, you're not supposed to uh, have good health care. You know, you're not supposed to necessarily have this. It's for the planet, right? It's, it's, for, it's, for, it's for climate justice, yo. And if you really care about it, then you, you have to sacrifice yourself. And people buy into that. And then you start like working harder and harder and harder until that's all you do, right? And then it be, you become addicted to it. it it's, it's, I, it's Aaron, I've seen it. We've been those people. Um, and, and, and so like, well, in terms of solutions, because we do have to talk about solutions and you teach me this, Reb, we got, you can't always go in and say no. Um, solutions are, it, it, you know, setting up those structures, unionization of, of, uh, and, of our um, spaces and, and not seeing any pushback from that, from our organizations, right? Um, uh, uh, worker agreements. We should, yeah, we, we talk about how much we stand with labor all the time and labor provisions. Let's do that for nonprofits. You know what I mean? Let's have spaces where if someone does burn out, they can just go to their supervisor and be like, I am burning out. And the supervisor is like, then you need to go home for three or five days and your job will be here when you get back. Um, Solutions are what Tara's doing right now in her ancestral lands. This space, like the land back process of like, come here and heal, right? And that's what uh, tomorrow and critical, uh, Climate Critical are trying to do as well, is set up that, um, and that infrastructure for humanity. There we go again with those systems of like, yes, it should not be radical to Tara's point to come to your supervisor and be like, I'm not well. Like, like I cannot work, you know, and I don't know necessarily how long this is going to last, but like, I need to feel supported. And that's just not a strange request. That's as much as like calling in sick for a day, but, but, but knowing, you know, that, that it might be longer than that and, and being like, okay, we have somewhere we can send you. We can send you to present day Minnesota to go and heal with, with people who are going to have you. And when it's time for you to come back, we're going to you know, have open arms. And then you're going to hopefully tell us like what you learned you know, so that we can break our own addictions because like you don't see, you know, whether it's uh, narcotics anonymous or alcoholics, people sitting alone and giving soliloquy, 
times they're sitting in circles, they're sitting in community. And so like, that's the good news. We don't have to start from scratch. We can borrow some beautiful concepts. There's this weird thing that people, politicians should probably hear more about traditional indigenous knowledge Right, like it occurs to me, there weren't jails when terrorist people were on this land and stuff. With people that like, there's just ways to deal with it together. So let, we got to bring that into our spaces. We can't just keep talking about using the buzzwords, as Tara said, to refer to like what we're going to do on the outside and and do this, but not do do this. If we're not doing that for our systems, if we're not organizing for alternative systems, what are we doing? Because it, it's not just about beating the fossil fuel industry. It's about, you know, um, um, defeating systems in a way that we don't turn on each other, that we don't kill ourselves in the process of doing it. Last thing I'll say, right, that 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 quote that I that I included um, in the piece about that James Baldwin, the prophet James Baldwin from his opus, No Name in the Street. Every time I read this quote, the powerless could never make the world pay for what they feel or fear, except by the suicidal endeavor, which makes them fanatics, revolutionaries or both <laughs> like. And I was like, I disagree with Baldwin. We cannot have that happen. We can't have that happen. We have to, we have to prove James Baldwin wrong. <laughs> That's our job is to prove James Baldwin wrong. That's going to be a hard thing to do, but that, but it's necessary. So that this, this report is, is, is so, so um, auspicious. It is so timely. And, um, and I, I hope that we, we make it a living document rather than just a report because there's a lot of wisdom and, 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 and some beautiful um, 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 information in there. Thank you, Anthony. Um, I, I realized that for those listening, I didn't actually say what, I think, I don't think I said what hat I was wearing. I'm wearing Torch hat, um, indigenous, uh, amazing force defender who was assassinated in the Willany Force and um, the place. Um, that is known here in Terre Allen as Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and so this word goes to you, my sister, Sarah, no. and I want to thank you both first for giving. And I hope, I know that you poured out a lot. And there, and I I know that for me, we, we all reopened some wounds. And so um, I hope you take time to find the healing because I know I've, I feel that way. I feel emotional, but I, I know that what we're saying here is going to be so powerful. So we're going to end with you, my my dear sister. And that's simply, you know, what is the vision of the future that we're fighting for look like? Uh, you're going to speak for all of us. Uh, what are we actually doing here? Uh, kind of ending on what, I, what we started. When that young brother came to me, that young person came to me and says, uh, you know, why are you trying to save hell so bad? Um, you know, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> but what's the future look like? What's the vision we're fighting for, Tara? A future could be one that is full of the love and care that's been expressed here in this small space. Um, but it's in that love and care that we see over and over and over again with each other. There is so much beauty still in the world. And though we know and carry these scientific realities in our heads, you know, the tipping points and the code reds and mass extinction events of species and all of it, all of it that's happening, the refugees that are happening every single day, 
the billions that have died of climate crisis and will continue to, you know, like the lives that will be lost by people who are doing typically the least to contribute to the crisis are suffering the most. And I think that those faces will now also become like, you know, not even become, it'll be the same faces who are fighting pipelines that will be fighting the, you know, the lithium mines and the copper mines to build the batteries of the Teslas that people want to drive so badly because they think that's the solution to extractive economy. Um, but it's not, it's not the solution to extractive, it's the solution of fossil fuels, right? Like that's where the limitation is. That's where like the idea is, is contained. The world that I want to live in, the world that I'm trying to build is one where there is care for each other, even as this crisis unfolds, one where there is agency and respect and autonomy and space for each other to be in community, to be loving and caring, to get through these traumas that we have and that we carry and that we inflict upon ourselves in this space, you know, that we get inflicted upon us, um, you know, this tireless drive to try to save what's left, tireless drive to try to help each other, to try to fix some of these injustices, you know, like, what does that mean for a person's spirit, you know, to, to go through that? Um, I mean, I know in this small pocket of Turtle Island, I'm trying to build a space where people can heal, you know, where they can heal and learn and hopefully, you know, not go through some kind of like programmed, you know, uh, retreat, but to really get in touch with, with themselves and some of the hurt that they might be carrying. You know, I mean, those are not easy things to do and it's a lifetime of effort. I think that, you know, I, I hope to see a world where people are less transactional with everything, including them, themselves. You know, where we really think about, okay, well, I'm going to do this self-care and that's, that'll fix it. No, it's, it's way more than, you know, putting yourself in a mud bath or getting into a, you know, a hot tub or having a cocktail or whatever it is, right? Like it's, it's so much more than that. It's care for your spirit. It's care for your, for your body, for yourself, for your loved ones. I want to live in that world. You know, I'm, I'm trying to build that world. And I think that some of us are already trying to live in that world, even as this one is falling apart around us. So I don't know. I think there's so much hope. I, I really do. I think there's so much love and, and care, even among the horrors that we see, you know, and the pitiful human beings that we are, because we are all pitiful, right? Those people that did that brutality to you, the people that have done brutality to, to aunt, to my, myself, to all of us, the people that took that innocent life and many others, they are pitiful. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that we still, we still have hope. I guess today, Tara Hosker, founder of the New Collective, and Anthony Rogers Wright, Director of Environmental Justice for New York Lawyers for Public Interest. And I am Rev you with your host of The Coolest Show. Thank y'all so much. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. 
You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know.